I was just telling Ben, we were healthy. We're, we're currently healthy, right? Okay. Like this day, today, Friday, February 3rd, we are healthy. Danielle <laughs> is, uh, she threw her back out, which I don't know, maybe you've heard through yeah. the grapevine, but she threw her back out. She was on the bed rest. So <sighs> now she's up and uh, it's our, our babysitter's back. She's healthy. That's a whole nother thing. <sighs> Um, and you take yeah. babysitters for granted, right? It's like, oh I man, I hate paying for this. And then you're like, it's worth when they're penny. gone, you're like, I'll pay twice what I used to pay. <laughs> Please come all, back. Time out. <laughs> I heard what you guys pay down in Texas for Is it a lot? Let's be no, 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 no. Let's be very clear. It's not and Texas. It's what Tiff negotiates <laughs> for babysitters. Let's be very well, clear. Let's, let's hash this out. What's a lot? What, what's your definition of a lot? Yeah, let's hear your opinion, and then I'll, I'll share um, what we pay. Like thirty and yeah. up an hour. Thirty an hour and up is a lot. Yeah, and what do you? Yeah, what we what we're out pay? up here. Yeah, so Tiff won't pay any more than fifteen. Really? Yeah, we got four kids. How does she handle? Uh, slave labor. I mean, it's <laughs> co completely contrary to what what Mark stands for yeah. and is trying to yeah. combat. Is is speaking what? of which, <laughs> this right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Pro athletes ending slavery. Ending slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So she. I mean, really, what we we focus on for the most part is like high school girls that love it. Right. right? It's like they get to hang out, play with the kids. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, our kids are 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 good with with babysitters, and so it's not a ton of work. Uh, but yeah, she's she's just up clear and like, hey, I, I pay fifteen. Do you want it or not? And she wonders why she's got to call like six babysitters <laughs> to get them to commit. <laughs> yeah, I think we're in that, that thirty range, twenty five or thirty oof. for you. I, I need to get Tiff to come over. He and lives negotiate. in the rich part of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, yeah. yeah. Our babysitters, <laughs> no. our babysitters. It's like we get. Well, I get ten bucks an hour to go work the cows and work the field. I'd much rather be inside with the kids yeah. for fifteen. That's true. That's true. So. Anyways, how how did y'all how did y'all meet? And, and by the way, we're talking to in the hole. Tyler, why don't you introduce our guest? We're, we've been in the A gap. That's where we met. Oh, y'all played against each other. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. So your last season with New York was what year? Uh, Two thousand seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And so you were with the Cowboys. When? I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So, so y'all did. Y'all met twice a year. So we played oh, against yeah. each other. Yeah. Middle linebacker, right, Mark? Yep. Yeah, I played middle, and then I played Sam, like, outside on the ball. So, like, you know, on the line of scrimmage at times. But, like, you know, my my go, my my bread and butter was special teams. So, like, you know, you know the the big linebacker and the fullback are going to yeah. Yeah. be paired together a lot on special teams. That, yeah, it's like, all right, let's get a speed match up here. Okay, the slow fullback. Who can you yep. just not get roasted by? Well, typically it's the middle linebacker most of the yep. time, unless you play Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I, I they, want I want people listening to this though, to get the full context. So we're talking to Mark Herslick, former NFL linebacker. You're six five, and at the time you were playing, how how heavy were you? Probably like two fifty. Yeah. Okay, so six five, two fifty. Tyler over here is six three. What two fifty when uh, you were playing? Six three is generous. Six. Okay, two. we'll we'll yeah. say six three. Yeah, six three. <laughs> so two two hundred and fifty pound men yeah. colliding. Yeah, that is a train wreck yeah yeah it's good times oh my yeah, gosh it, it, it's and those are the types of things that i currently watch the game i don't know if you, but if you're the same way yeah you watch the game you're like i can't believe i did that yeah like, what was i thinking seriously <laughs> like there are times where these hits are happening i'm like wow that yeah. looks like it killed and you're and 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 mark's doing color commentary for the acc network right yeah yeah and so he's calling He's calling college games where there's even more reckless abandonment, I feel yeah. like, at that oh, level. Yeah. Because you've just got more – you heal faster at that age. But I, I totally agree with you. I'm looking at this, and I'm like, 
And I used to seek that out. Like I used to oh, like yeah. look forward to that. And now I'm like, oh, are, like if you bump into me too hard, like I, I can't walk right for two days. Are there two positions on the field that have more violent contact than middle linebacker and fullback? I don't – maybe safety, maybe, just because you're running. But, yeah, I mean, just I mean you, two, you yeah. two played the – I mean, yeah. the most violent positions you could absolutely play on the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most deliberate, right? Like, yeah. the the technique taught to the middle linebackers. I mean, I would say when you're at Sam too, because you've got pulling guards and you've got you know, you've got tight ends and fullbacks coming to kick out as well. But the technique, it literally is. All right, we're not teaching you how to shed. We're not teaching you how to go around. We're teaching you the art of contact. I had a special teams coach in college. That like walk, he was very analytical, never played a down on football in his life, but like broke everything down, right? And it, he like walked through the art of contact. And so, our two positions, the coaching technique was all right, if you've got this leverage, you've got to be on this side, you've got to make contact this way. And here's how to run through contact to move the other person. Mm. It's not a matter of like, all right, hey, you've got, you know, your, your club cross face or your rip or your, you know, your, your uh, hump move, or you've got all these things to like get guys away from you. It's like, no, you've got to go through this because you've got to be gap sound because a lot is put on, especially the middle linebacker, right? The middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense. They always say safety is. Darren always says the safety is a quarterback of yeah, defense. Well, nah, we nonsense. know that's not true. Nonsense. Um, but it's literally like if you – if you are not in position or you're not in the gap or you don't like offense, you don't have the leverage, then the entire play doesn't work because yeah. that's usually the point of contact. Like that's yeah. usually where the play is going. So I think the point is you two are insane monsters is what the point is. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> Let's shorten it. <laughs> yeah. that, works. That. That, works. Yeah, that works. That works. That works. <laughs> yeah. All right. So again, uh, if you are jumping in and, and you're hearing this, uh, this, sensual amazing voice on the other side that has not been in mine mm -hmm. i think they assume listeners assumed yep. i was talking about the other person because yep, it's not ours. sure uh this is mark mm -hmm. herslick uh so former new york giant boston college grad um and now acc network and then what we're going to spend some time towards the end of the podcast talking about what he's doing now um that we on this podcast have talked about quite a bit um but what he's doing with international justice mission. Um, and then the, the position that he's, he's in working with athletes, trying to, um, just combat this epidemic of slavery around the globe and what he's doing and, and the impact that athletes are making. And, and, and Mark's got some great stories on the profound impact that athletes across many sports are making, um, in helping combat, um, this, this epidemic, but Mark, man, again, appreciate you taking some time this afternoon. Thanks for your patience with me, uh, late as usual. Uh, but, uh, man, appreciate you. Yeah, no, it's good. It's all good. All right, Mark, let's get, let's get a little bit, let's let our listeners get to know you a little bit more. Let's go back. Um, you know, you're born in Missouri, but then Ray went to high school in Pennsylvania, right? Walk yes, us through correct. kind of those early years, you know, growing up, you know, there's a different upbringing for guys like I feel like you and me and, and Ben. Ben played. I'm sure you you told him six or seven times that you should have made it to the league, but you tore your ACL <laughs> otherwise. And then yeah, your coaches exactly didn't right. like you, and they were jerks. The <laughs> whole, the Everybody whole deal. was out to get me. That's no, the only reason. <laughs> ben actually is one of the more athletic dudes that I've ever been around, and I hate admitting that, but he yeah. is actually a, a pretty freak athlete. But um, it, it's a different upbringing, right? Like there's a grittiness that – that is instilled early on. So take us back there and, and help us understand how uh, the Mohawk yeah. came to be. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got Mohawk. Still got still it. Still, still got it. Got it. Yeah, nice. thirty-five-year-old with a mohawk. It's yes. rare. It, there's not many of us right. out there. So, when you're six-five, um, when you're six-five, two-fifty, you do what you want. My kids still to this day talk about you and like, I just want a mohawk like Mark. I want a mohawk like Mark. Yeah, yeah it's it's funny because I'm like, it's every eight-year-old's like, oh, I need that haircut, and every mom of an eight-year-old's like, uh, let's stay away from that guy because I don't want you to get that haircut. <laughs> but but uh, I wasn't born with this haircut, so we'll start. Okay. I guess we'll start there. Perfect. Yeah. No, I was. I was Born outside, uh, born in St. Louis, we moved to uh, outside of Philadelphia uh, when I was young. Uh, my dad uh, worked for Ralston Purina, uh, uh, doing sales in there. So you know, that job took him to Philly. And really, you know, I, it's funny. I think you're right. A lot of times, there's a, like a lot of like grit built into a childhood. My, you know, I, my wife Danielle, she came to the town where I grew up uh, for the first time in college. And she was like, what? This place looks fake. I mean, it was like, it's like white picket fences and manicured lawns. And like, we live on a cul-de-sac and all the, you know, the, like our parents, they were like, have cocktails at five. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's very unassuming in terms mm -hmm. of like a place where you could collect any grit. But yeah. my parents were, you know, my parents were, uh, they wanted us to be in this good school district. They wanted us to be there, but it was always like, Hey, you're not getting everything you want. I mean, you're, it's just not, that's not what's going to happen. It's not where you were going to be. Uh, they were both athletes. Um, you know, my mom played three sports in college and my dad would football and lacrosse. And so you just, I grew up with a lacrosse stick in my hand and, you know, a tennis ball and a tennis racket and football and just every, everything was sports. And I think that one of the things that I had growing up, which was really cool, was a really good group of friends that also had parents that were intentional with them. Right. And so like there was never, like, I feel like you see a lot of the movies and, and you see, see like kids and especially in high school, like, Oh, like if I want to fit in, I got to like be a do drugs. I got to do bad things. It was like all the kids that were cool that I was friends with, they like did good things. Like they, yeah. they were the relatively good kids. And so it was like, all right, well, instead of that, we're going to go play pickup basketball at, you know, 9 p.m. under the lights and do stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I mean, as far as like things I'm looking for for my kids, like to get situations like that where you get other intentional parents pouring into them. And, and so you're like raising a collective of children together, kind of uh, all on the same path. But anyways, that. I, I, you know, kind of got a little bit off topic. No, no, no. I think, no, that's, I think that's, that's good, Mark. Yeah, I, I, that's I mean, we, yeah. we talk about this a lot. Like, and, you know, we're, we're by no means like a, like, this is how to do things like a how to podcast by no means. We yeah. just, we want to talk about relevant issues and then just kind of give thoughts. Right. And one yeah. of the things we talk a lot and we find ourselves because we're in that stage, same, same stage as you is in that parenting stage. And I think what you said is really, really important because just because you live in an area doesn't mean that your kids are going to be a reflection of that area that you live in. And everybody's like, oh, we got to move out to this place because, you know, it's, you know, it's got better schools and it's got this and, and, or we got to move away here because all the kids are spoiled. And, and it's, yeah. yes, like your kids are a portion of who they are as an element of their environment, but let's not lose fact that parenting is number one and, and what you do in the home is most important. So just because you yeah. go to a school with a bunch of, you know, like say spoiled brats or you, or 
you know, uh, you know, drugs is a big part of the environment that or the the community that you're in. Whatever it is, wherever your surrounding is, don't downplay the influence that parents actually have on your kids and the morals that you instill in them. Yeah, and and you know, I think it's interesting, especially as fathers, right? Like the um, idea of a, a father uh, just his sole purpose is providing for the family anymore. Like to me, that's out of the window really with kind of our generation leading the way on that. And Mm -hmm. I think it was dabbled in a little bit with our, our parents' generation. But before that, I mean, you dads weren't changing diapers, you know, like they're off and they're, you know, coming home and, you know, my wife raises the kids. And so like, I, I've seen, and like, I really feel like if you're that type of dad nowadays, like that's almost like that's not cool you know like yeah. and it's just not as accepted as in society which is a good thing because yeah. it's pressuring dads to be more involved with their families and i think it's for some people it's a welcome relief mm-hmm. um you know and, and for others it's like oh like gotta be around my family and i think that like those two things uh those are attitude checks that guys need to have for sure. Like when they're, when they're dads or when they're thinking about becoming dads. Um, and it's something like you can, you know, you mentioned it, you can always kind of find that niche wherever you are. So like, I don't think that geography has as much to do with it as your community and your environment that you make. Now you you might not be able to find anybody that you can do life with. And that's one thing, but like, if you get like a couple really close people Mm -hmm. and you know, get the kids get along, you get along with the husband, the wife gets along with the wife. Like, man, you can do something with that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm with you, Mark. I, you know, I, I, I agree with Tyler that, that the parents start it in the home. It's very important, but I agree with you, Mark. I was the same way. I was very fortunate that the quote unquote cool kids, we did exactly what you're talking about. The, the guys yeah. that I spent most of my time with, it wasn't ever even a temptation to go party or do drugs or any, our, our use of fun was going out and playing and doing those. So, I'm with you that it if you surround yourself, I, I'm convinced that the reason I didn't get into trouble growing up is because the people I spent most of my time with my buddies weren't doing those things. Yeah. Now, if they yeah. had, I would probably have been a lot more tempted to do that. So I think it's a great combination. Yeah, but do you think two. that you chose those friends because of the way that you were raised and the expectations and, and guidance that you got I, from your parents? Yeah, I think my parents had a lot to do with it because the friends, the best friends that I made in school, but also we went to church together yeah. or – so I was, there, I was always in environments where it was just a natural to yeah. make those type of friends. Yeah. So yes, it, to your point, their parents were very similar minded because they were taking us all to the same places to right. eventually form those friendships. Yeah, um, totally. So yeah, so I think it's a, it's kind of a chicken or the egg. I don't know yeah. what, you know, I'm, it, I think it starts with parents, starts in the home, but then where are your kids spending most of their time? Who are they spending most of their time with? Yeah. I think yeah. That's a big thing. And, and I think too, I, it's funny because like, I think it really matters, but also you know, we've all, we all have, we're in that kind of young kid phase. Right. And you know, where like the first three years, like they barely spend time with uh, other kids, you know, it's like yeah. most yeah. of the time is with you in the yeah. house. And like those, uh, those first four years really forming who they are. And like that, my, my biggest lie that society tells you people right now is that you can just go out and be whoever you want to be. And like, yeah, you can do anything you want to do, but you can't be whoever you want to be. Like you were made 
a certain way to be a certain person. And, and I think it's a parent's job, like before your kids go off into the world to like figure out who they're going to be from the world is you need to instill some of that, that, uh, that self-identity and that identifying natures in the kids early. So that way, when they do pick their friends, they're picking friends that are similar to them in terms of their values. Oh, like that kid, he says the, you know, not nice words. That doesn't feel right. I don't want to hang out with that kid. Right. Or like, I know that he's doing stuff that I don't feel comfortable with. And really, you know, it's not like you're not like a four-year-old could tell you, help. it's because my parents did this, but it's the foundational messages that they've heard their entire life up until then, where they feel comfortable with a certain type of kid. And that's how those friendships are being made. So like, I totally, I, I totally agree on both sides. And I think the real tragedy is when you do that with your kid and then you see them start getting hurt. Right. And and for those first couple of times where they're like, Oh my gosh, like you go into a situation. I know what my values are. I, you know, the kids, I, I know who I am, but then someone tells me that's not right. And then, you know, I'm sure you guys have gotten it where the kids come home and like, what do you mean? Like this kid told me that. <laughs> and where, where you start to like other outside factors start trying to poke holes in that foundation you've laid for your child. And like those, I think those are like, heartbreaking moments but that's where the i think that's where the formation of like oh i can see who you're going to become as a young man or a young woman i think that's when really cool stuff yeah Yeah. and and you talk about foundation it's it's one thing to say it to your kid like hey this is what we believe like telling them but it's another thing for them to see it day in and day out Mm -hmm. because that's really what they're going to grab onto right that's going to be when that foundation goes from sand to rock right that's the difference Mm -hmm. So, um, all right, back to yeah. you, Mark. Sorry, I know we, we, we took on yeah. a little tangent there. All right, so talk about foundation. So when in, in, as it relates to sports, and, and I, I want to be very careful as we, like, wrap this around sports, but that's been, that's been a vehicle for you that you've used. That's not who you are, obviously, but that's a vehicle that you've used to do some really great things. Um, but early on, did sports come easy to you? Were you, were you big early on? Um, how much did, like, work – versus talent like what how did that play out early on in your sports career yeah good question um i was always big so i was always like the biggest kid in class um really up until like beginning of middle school then some other kids like got taller and then i eventually caught back up but you know i i always i always was bigger my dad always uh also saw in me that i was very talented at like sports and physical activity and so from really, from really as, as early as I can remember, uh, he would always kind of remind me, like, "Look, you're gonna be naturally better than a lot of your friends at things, uh, and so like, challenge yourself by, I don't know, like, my gym teacher in elementary school didn't let me do anything right-handed, which is my dominant hand. Everything had to be left-handed because." I couldn't play dodgeball right-handed because it just wasn't fair. So I had to do it left-handed. I, you know, so like I had to play lacrosse and left-handed only for a while. Like these are just kind of things that, um, I would do to challenge myself in these situations because I had a little bit of advantage at times. Now, a lot of those things, uh, balanced out more as you got into high school and there was other kids who were a little bit more specified in certain areas, but I was always like, I'm going to do any sport out there. Um, never did sports until high school, uh, for a purpose. Like there was never like a, 
I'm playing football because I want to go to college to play football. Like it was just, I'm going to play football because I think it's fun to play football. Yeah. And I love playing and football. My buddies play. And that, that was, yeah. yeah. And, and so like, that was kind of how um, it was. There was a, a one moment uh, I was playing freshman football. So like, again, like I didn't go out and even try out for varsity my freshman year. I wanted to go. We went to this family camp in Maine together as a family every year. And so like, we'd go to this family camp. It was a week long. You do like, water skiing and, and, you know, swimming and sailing and all that stuff. And I knew that this was the last year I could possibly go to it. It was in August. And so instead of trying out for the varsity football team, my freshman year, I wanted to go to that camp again. And so I went to that camp and played on the freshman team. And, um, you know, I kind of just shows like, you know, I wasn't trying to prove anything at that point. Not like I thought I was great. Football was like something I did. Um, and so, I remember that that freshman year, we were terrible. Like we played a, like ten total games. Like after the ninth game, uh, we were zero and nine. And um, my dad, uh, he'd been my coach all through Pee Wee. Um, and then once got to middle school, was not anymore. And then freshman year was not my coach, but he was always a guy that I went to to like just, hey, how did I play or how did I do? And he yeah. he always was super positive. He never was one to come to me be like, oh, you need to do better. But this time he, he called me up to his office and he was like, so we lived in like a split level colonial. So it was like, you know, half a floor, half a floor. And so his like office was all the way on the top floor. And so you'll go up in there and he's sitting by his desk. Uh, and he was like, Hey, uh, I was just thinking about your game yesterday. Um, this was the one we had lost the ninth game. And he was like, I, this is one of the first times I've seen you not, not trying like out there, not caring. Um, and he basically said, look, if you're not going to give it a hundred percent, that's fine. I'm just, I'm not going to keep coming to the games because I don't care if you win. I don't care if you make all the plays. I don't care if you succeed. It's just, I don't want to go out there and watch you do something at 50%. Uh, and so I said, no, it's like, you know, first of all, it like hit me. I'm like, yeah. this is a guy who's always been my biggest cheerleader. I'm like, yeah. what do you think? Like 50%. And so I was like, dude, I, I said, dad, I, I keep coming. Like I won't, I'll play as, you know, as hard as I can. Um, and so, you know, the next game we ended up, you know, we won not because I was playing better or not, but like that was a moment for me that it was like, okay, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it as hard as I can. Yeah. And, you know, from that moment when I was, I don't know, 14 years old uh, throughout the rest of my life and especially my football career, it was like, okay, if, if there's something that, should or could be done and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it as hard as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, it wasn't like I was seeking approval from my father cause he always gave it to me unconditionally, but he saw that I wasn't giving what I could in those moments. And that, that really drove me. Yeah, man. That's a really, that's a great story. Uh, I, I think that's so fascinating and it's not, not just that scenario, but all scenarios where, it's so strange how you can hear one thing from somebody you really respect or even yeah. from somebody just like a podcast for whatever reason, that one thing hits you a certain way and differently yeah. than you've ever heard it before. So yep. it's amazing at 35, you can recall that one conversation from 14 years old and that was your launching point for the rest of your career. But your That's dad story. knew yep. you to a, to a point that he knew how to connect with you for it to resonate. Right. He knew yeah. Yeah. that, and I'm sure 
I'm sure he, and I, and I I'm not calling him a liar, but I'm saying I'm sure he probably didn't have any intention to not come to your games, but he needed right. you to hear that. Yeah. He knew he knew right. that that was going to be impactful to you. Like, hey, look, I mean, I love you. I don't need you to look. Do what you want to do. I support it, but like, I'm not going to get off of work to come to your games, or I'm not going to like right. to hear that. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you What do you mean? Like, yeah. for me, if my dad said that to me. Because my dad was a guy that was always there. I never knew he was there, but he was always there. Like, I'd find out after, uh -huh. like, he got off of work at 3, which was a big deal for my dad. And he'd sit outside the fence, watch, take whatever calls he needed to, you know, on his actual car phone, like, that was, like, plugged into the yeah, car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, he'd watch, and then he'd leave. Like, I'd never know. He was not the dad that was there. But if, if he were to say, hey, I'm, like, hey, look, you're just not playing how I think that you can play, like, I'll, you know, I'll show up to the games. I'm not going to come to practice anymore just because, you know, like I could be doing other things. I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no, I'm going to yeah. ball out at practice, you know, like, so I, I get that and I resonate with that. So, so freshman year and then how did it, how did it transition then into varsity? I'm, I'm assuming you were on yeah. varsity your sophomore year and. Yeah. Yeah. So from, you know, that would, and at this point, Actually, lacrosse was probably my main sport. So, you know, I was uh, I played as a, a true freshman for our team. We were, you know, we had a, a very good uh, high school team in that like uh, greater Philadelphia area, and um, was you know that summer before sophomore year, did we do like, like a bunch of camps, recruiting camps, and you had a bunch of scholarship offers, and so like lacrosse was my main sport. Come back in the fall, uh, and you know, football season, I'm you know the backup middle linebacker. The starting middle linebacker gets hurt, uh, like in the, the first game of the season, and so from then I, you know, I, I stepped in and played, and you know, played, you know, played from then on, and um, you know, had a successful high school career. Also continued playing lacrosse um, until my junior year, and then really my junior year is when I first started, uh, you know, putting any work in the weight room. Like I never touched a weight until my junior year of high school, and. Then there was this guy who owned the beer shop in town and he had a gym in his basement and my dad knew him um, from buying beer. And so he was like, Hey, like you think you can train my son? And so I would go down to, you know, this guy's basement three days a week after school, like during the off season. And we just, I mean, it was pumped iron. Like he, I mean, he had like a 52 inch chest. He was a power lifter. I mean, he was like, a, he was massive. Um, and and that's basically how I did during my high school. Is like I just found the strongest, best in shape looking people I could find and ask them how they did it. Like yeah. <laughs> when I was being, <laughs> recruiting to BC, I committed to BC, and I went up there. And so this was my this was my uh, senior year of high school football. So, like, so you committed before, like during your senior year season or before your senior season? I committed right before my senior season. Okay. So I committed, to, I committed to UVA first, actually. Then their coach left. And I, I committed to BC. Got it. So I'd already been committed there. Uh, going through a season, I'm like, my senior year of high school, I was you know, 6'4", 260, mm. playing middle what? linebacker and, and fullback. Yeah, I was big, big kid. And so I, <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes. <laughs> playing linebacker. <laughs> Oh my gosh! No, thank you. I'll, I'll yeah. pass. Dude, our no, linemen. Like, and I, ran like an, 
We yeah. ran like a pro style backfield, like I formation. I was just taking bellies to the house. Like, <laughs> you know, like it was, I was playing fullback too. Uh, here's the deal, Mark. Is I know that you had the back flap and jersey tucked in up oh, underneath, hundred no percent. No, 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 no. Because I had too big of a gut. I remember. I was oh, 60. Yeah, that's there's, true. There's, yeah, okay, okay. There's no back. There, you know, you're not showing off the mid, the midsection at that point. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Neck roll though, at least. In, but, yeah, but, oh, neck roll for sure. Okay, all right, I, all right. since I, I was, was a quarterback six. and I wore yeah. neck roll, so. Oh, yeah. yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's no reason that. not to wear neck roll. It makes you look cooler. Yes. Um, <laughs> obviously. Um, but anyway, so like, so, so like, um, so yeah, so like I was big and then I went up to BC to visit and I sat down with the uh, linebacker coach, this guy Bill McGovern, and, you know, he's born and raised in Jersey. Like, you know, he talks like this and he's from Jersey and he, um, <laughs> He goes, hey Mark, how much you weighing? And I was like, uh, Coach, I'm like two sixty. He goes, oh, can you run? I was like, yeah, I got that. I think I can run. He goes, well, you better be able to run. Or we're gonna put your hand in the dirt when you get here. And I was like, all right, Roger that. So I go home. Yeah, Roger that. So I go home and found like the most in shape guy I could find. Um, uh, and I was like, hey, how do you look like that? And he was like, I, I eat chicken and rice for every meal and i play basketball like three times a day i was like all right well now i know what i'm doing for the summer all so right I, you know, <laughs> chicken and rice for every meal and play basketball every day and lost 30 pounds and got went back up to bc and i go there for the first day and i go to you go to their locker and yeah. you get like i don't know what number i'm gonna be i'm number 94 and i'm in the d-line section and i'm like Guess what? I'm 230 now and I can run. <laughs> Y'all didn't run. see me obviously walk into the building. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, so that's how I was 94 and played linebacker for my four years at five. I always five wondered that why you wore that number. That I, because I remember that distinctly watching you in college wearing that, that high number. I was wondering. So that, that's funny. That's so. Amazing. So like, it came in at 260. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Not even came in, just recruiting trip at 260. All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. So yeah. yeah. So did they start you at D-line or like they took a look at you, took measurements like, eh, we're going to move you back over to the, the linebacker room? No, they, I mean, I think it was like it was, there was anticipation. Like they, there was never a time where they were like, hey, you're a D lineman. But okay. like the writing was on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Sure. we don't want to go then, through the logistics there. of changing your number because it's inevitable kind of deal. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I was like, oh, you know, this is my, this is me now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then, you know, BC, just like I had a phenomenal experience there. But the first workout I ever did at BC, even though I came in, uh, you know, in shape, feeling good. I was the, like back then the freshmen didn't come early usually like, and so I, I came a semester early. My dad, like I, I just wanted wow. to get up there. I was done with high school. My dad, um, 
it wasn't part of scholarship, but he played, paid for a semester for me to go to summer school and then train. And the first one, so I was the only freshman there. I passed out about, you know, four drills into the first workout mm. and literally passed out That's on tough. the field <laughs> and woke up look. in the training room <laughs> with an IV in my arm. <laughs> and like, I was like, what is going on? It's like, <laughs> like, you know, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks, though, that, you know, the seriousness of the, you know, the competitiveness. I mean, you yeah. go from high school to college, you, you yeah. know, it's, it's so it's different. A different deal. Yeah, it's yeah. so different, especially those summer workouts, like transitioning. Oh, like, yeah. Because that is like the the college summer workouts, that training regimen is just insane because it's it's typically like head coaches going to the strength coach and saying, hey, I want this, this, and this. And then the strength coach having just free reign on making up the craziest workouts <laughs> possible. Like, well, so, I don't think that's the way it happens. I think the head coach goes, tell me who breaks. Uh, wow. Like, break these kids. It's like, like, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to some of these strength coaches now, like, doing these college games. And, like, they need to know what your breaking point is. And they uh, don't know until you're there on campus. And yeah. so they try to break you. For us, it was and, the 6 a.m. workouts. We'd do that in February. And it was mm-hmm. the only time it was cold in, like, Central California. And all the coaches were there. And it was literally like, all right, we've got – we're picking out 10, 10 guys mm-hmm. during this three-week, 6 a.m. conditioning period, and we are going to test you every single day until you prove us wrong because we think you're weak. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. literally how they would thin out the herd, and usually you'd lose like eight to ten guys on the team, like some scholarship guys. Yeah. Not, not for me. Yeah. But, yeah, summer was just stupid because we had a, a history major as a as a strength coach, and all he, he coached literally out of the – uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, modern bodybuilding <laughs> encyclopedia. That was literally how he came up with our workouts. My first three yeah, years. Yeah, and of that's college. why your chest looks like it does now. Yeah, that's why your neck is 19 inches. <laughs> you know what? I should go back and think. Yeah. yeah what are you complaining about? Yeah, I just, I, I, there's always an origin story somewhere, and that's that's how Tyler got the neck he had. I just I just wish wish Rich, Rich Tucker would have actually worked on some speed stuff because then maybe I wouldn't be slow as molasses through my NFL career. I got a random question. <laughs> Not really random. It's You said something earlier. You you always played football just because you like playing football. So when somebody asks yeah. you, well, Mark, what do you want to do one day? Like, What do you yeah. want your career to be? What did you say? Um, I, I guess you know, my dad was in finance. Um, he was a, a private wealth manager. Um. And I thought like when I got to college, like that's what I would do. So I majored in business, but like all I, I didn't even think about career. Mm. Like growing up, I just was like, I want to be a dad. Like all I wanted to do is be a dad. Uh. And like, I, you know, I remember from, you know, from young to even like middle school, high school, it was like, all right, I I don't care what I do for a job. Really. It's like, I just want to be a dad when I grow up. And I think I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that my dad was so important in my life. Yeah. Um, and it just was like, Oh my gosh. Like if I could, like if I could be this for someone else, like the way I felt towards my dad, like if I could have a son or a daughter, like look to me like that, like that's the real deal. So like, I don't know. I, I mean, that was my <sighs> thing from real young. That, that's equal parts the most unique answer I've ever heard, but also one of the coolest answers. And what a compliment to your dad! I mean, that yeah. might be yeah. that might be the best thing you could ever say if yep. your dad's ever heard that. If he hasn't heard yeah. that, I would encourage you to tell him because that. Wow, I, I hope my kids say that about me. I yeah. just want to be a dad like my dad was yeah. to me. Yeah, that's pretty that cool. Is, that is awesome. I love that. Yeah, and, so, and you know, for him too, 
Yeah, I think that he like he again. I told you we we moved to Philadelphia because he was working in sales. Um, and I remember he tells a story. I don't remember it, but one day I was you know I was four four and a half something like that, uh, and I walked downstairs on a Saturday uh, Saturday morning, and my dad was there in the kitchen, uh, and I was like, Dad, what are you doing home? And to him, he was on the road so much, you know, those first few years, that the fact that his son was surprised to see him at home on Saturday morning in the kitchen, he was like, I need a, I need a change. And he quit his job and decided to go into a completely different field of uh, private wealth management that he did. You know, he was a history major in college. Like, you know, he had to go back and do all the schooling and do all the stuff. And he changed his entire career uh, because he wanted to put his kids first. And like, I, you know, there's, I'll always remember that. Um, He was always, you know, frugal is not the right word, but he always respected money, um, but never let it control him. And so like, it didn't, to me, it didn't matter um, as much like of what I did. Um, It was more so like who I did it for. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's been, it's been a leading thing that I consistently battle with too, uh, as my desires for different things you know, elevate. And then I'm like, I always have to keep myself reminded and check like, ah, like who am I doing it for? Not what am I doing? Who am I doing it for? And then, and that, that guides like, you know, 90% of my decisions. That's really cool. I love that. All right. So Boston college, um, you, you start to see some success, right. And, and you start on the field. Um, what was that? What was that like? I mean, obviously, high school, you were you were the the biggest guy on the team. You were always like the dude. But then now on this level, what did that do with you? Like maybe as it related to identity, or like did that affect you, or did you, you know, keep that ego in check through that process? I did not keep that ego in check. Like, <laughs> Hence, no, and, and out came the mohawk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it so like. I, in, you know, in high school I was good. Right. And and I was probably more heavily recruited than other people on my team, but, but I wouldn't say I was the best player on my team. You know, there were guys with just like unbelievable athleticism um, at times. It's just, I, I ended up working uh, not harder. I just worked more correctly. Right. Yeah. And my dad helped with the recruiting and all that stuff. So um, uh, then I, you know, I get to college and start having success and, and it really wasn't, I, you know, I wouldn't say looking back now, I would say like I had an ego about me Um, at the time. I still would say that I thought I acted pretty humble, um, but you know, like I, my personality, like I like to, uh, I'll portray a very humble attitude uh, and a very service oriented attitude. Um, It's just the, the reason a lot of times behind me doing that, and this has come from therapy and from, you know, understanding myself is because I want to look better. Yeah. Right. Like I, I'm, I want to make it look like I am a really good guy and I, on the surface, I, and I, I am a pretty good guy, but like, I'll continue to perpetuate that because I want to continue to make up, hold up the appearances of being a really good person. Yeah. Right. So like, it wasn't necessarily because I thought, Oh my gosh, like, I'm internally compelled to be like this kind, generous person. It was like, I want to be seen as a kind, generous person. So like 
the humility aspect there would, you know, would definitely come out, especially like some of my, you know, closest friends, my roommates from college, <laughs> like, like, Oh, it's Mark time. Like, all right. You know, like in front of the camera, all turns stuff. on. And so, yeah. So like uh, ego definitely went up and I, yeah. and like, I thought I was the man, uh, on, you know, I really did. Um, and, um, my junior season was when I started having like a lot more of, you know, uh, national success I was ACC defensive player of the year had a really good season um, was uh, you know deciding whether to come out for the draft as after a junior or not um, it was a big linebacker years like Ray Maluga and Brian Cushing and a bunch of these guys who you know were also really good Aaron Curry um, and so I decided that I was going to stay another year because all those guys were seniors they had to leave I yep. could be come back and be like a top 10 pick. So, um, but it was in that time period where I was starting to try to make that decision, uh, that I had like huge roadblock. Uh, and, um, let's get my, yeah, yeah, yes. I kind of figured that's where where we would go on this, um, for sure. But so after that junior season, I got all those national awards and recognition. Uh, I started feeling, uh, pain in my leg, my left leg. And so, um, you know, it started slow, but, you know, got to where it wasn't just during workouts. It was kind of all, all the time. And for six months was just in, in excruciating pain. Like couldn't really go to class, couldn't work out with the team. Um, you know, the doctors, uh, the medical staff at BC, they couldn't tell me what it was. And so I just felt like super lost and I had built up this identity for myself of, yeah, like I'm Mark Herzog, I'm a football player. Uh, and although like throughout high school, it was never like, yes, I was an athlete and that set me apart as like one of the bigger kids. I was also athletic. Um, but in college, it really got defined as, Hey, this guy plays football. And so, um, when we finally figured out what it was, I, um, had a bunch of MRIs scheduled after my spring game, uh, that year and, uh, got an MRI on my left femur and the doctor called me and called us into his office and sat me down, uh, and basically explained to me that, um, that pain that I've been experiencing for the past six months, uh, was, um, uh, a large tumor was in my left femur. And so, um, they, they were about 95% sure that it was cancerous. They would have to do a biopsy the following day ended up being cancer. But when this guy, when he told me, you know, you have cancer, uh, it would, I mean, just like completely knocked me off my seat. And the only thing I really knew about cancer was like one of my friends growing up, his mom had passed away and then the movie Brian song and yeah. like, but cancer had not been a part of my growing up, no one in my family had had it. And so when I heard that, it was like, Oh my gosh, like what, what does that mean? And you know, my dad, who is in that in room the, with you? Yeah. Who is in that room yeah. with you? So I was, I'm sitting on the, uh, the examination table. My parents are to my right. So my dad is closer to me in a chair than my mom, uh, next to him. Uh, and so I could kind of see them and the doctor would come and came walk over me. He was talking to me and, and, you know, out of that, uh, right peripheral, my dad, uh, asked the doctor, he said, you know, Mark is uh, a very good football player. Like when will he be able to play football again? And you know, I tell the story, it's kind of, you know, it's funny, but it, it is what it is. My mom, like, backhanded him right in the chest. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you thinking about 
football. That's right? such a like, dad question, though. Yeah. Such a dad question. <laughs> but it's funny because like that was the only question I had in my mind too. Yeah. And I think like when you talk about identity, so much of who I thought I was at that moment was tied up in that circumstance yeah. of me being good at football. Uh, and the doctors told my dad, he said, you know, Mark will never play football again. Mm. He said, you know, the damage to his leg, uh, from the chemotherapy, uh, and the you know, surgery and radiation is going to be too drastic, uh, to ever be able to run again. Mm. Um, and so they said like, if everything goes well, he'll be able to walk with a limp or with a cane. Um, and like at that point it was like, what? And I just it kind of blacked out a little bit, really, until I got home. Um, and that was now the the journey we had to go on. Uh, and you know, we did, you know, treatments and everything like that. But that, you know, that was, that day was tough. Real quick, you know, because your dad and you had a similar reaction. Your mind went to football and what happens. Your mom sounds like her mind yep. went to life and death. Did yeah. your mind not go to life and death at all? Did you even have that thought? I'm just very curious in that moment yeah. when yep. you hear the when you hear that diagnosis. It Especially sounds like your experience with right, cancer. That sounds point. like your first thought was football, not life or death. Did that yep. did that cross your mind at all? Oh, for sure. So I get home and like for the next for like two hours after I got home, I just laid in my bed and just tried to wrap my mind around everything. And like the thoughts were swir- swirling. Like, why did this happen to me? Like. You know, did I do something to, you know, deserve this diagnosis? And then, and like, really all that I kept thinking about was when they said I'd never be able to run again. And like, I grew up with like playing football in the backyard with my dad. Like all I wanted to be was a dad. I was like, I'm never going to be able to do that with my kids. And like, am I even going to be able to have kids? And so like, that was very real. Um, the like I the realization of fatality was there, but it never um became a reality in my thinking because like I it just couldn't like yeah. okay if if it didn't work out like I, I'm gonna die right yeah. and I can't plan for that right now because there's still we still got like there's work to be done and I remember um you've seen a picture on the wall in my bedroom and this is my high school bedroom. And I was playing running back and I was stiff arming someone. And like, again, I was like six, five, two sixty, playing running back, stiff arming like a high school kid. And you know, looked massive. And my left leg was like solid and, and yeah. you know, in the ground. And I, and I remember being like, that leg is not going to be what kills me. Like I'm not, it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, and I walked downstairs and my dad was down there in the kitchen. And I said, dad, I said, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to play football again. And, I just like from then on, it was a determination. He walked over to me and he hugged me and he said, all right, let's do this. And like, it was for me, um, I think like there's a lot of moments that have been special with my dad, uh, throughout my life. Um, but like he said, you know, three words, like, let's do this. And they're very unassuming words, but I felt so isolated with the diagnosis. I felt so alone. I felt so lost in terms of like, who I was in that moment that when he said, let's, it was like, all right, I'm not fighting alone. Yeah. And Gosh. it was a you know, very real uh, idea and, and moment for me. And like that continued to be a part of uh, my comfort 
and my healing throughout it, but also something that I continuously keep in mind with my own kids now of like, Hey, there are going to be times like not, hopefully not that drastic, but there are going to be times where like the kids are just like lost and just even being like, Hey, look, I'm here with you for this. Like that can do so much. Um, and did a lot for me, man. I we gotta have that. your dad on this podcast. Yeah. Your dad's a stud, man. He is. <laughs> was there any resentment, uh, you know, doctors, trainers that you know couldn't really figure out what was going on with you for the first six months? Was there any, any kind of resentment at all? Yes, of course. There's. I mean, like you know, I'm sitting here and I, you know, I want, you know, I want to be a good Christian man and all that stuff. But like I, it was. I mean, I was. I resented the fact that they didn't catch it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like. They put me through all these things, these tests that didn't result in anything. And then I go home and the first thing they do like is MRI my leg. And I'm like, why didn't you MRI my how leg did, before? Yeah, how do we there, not do this? Ice and stem is not going to fix whatever whatever this is. Yeah. And uh, the amount of ice and stem <laughs> I did was insane. And, like the grass stem trying to break up scar tissue, but it was a tumor. Like yeah. there was a whole lot of things that um, took a lot of years to come to terms with yeah. really and to and to uh, heal through. Uh, and honestly, I think that it's funny. Um, you know, my wife, it, she's, a, she's unbelievable. She's a survivor of different type of trauma, um, uh, domestic violence type trauma. And her, like you, her trauma, big T trauma, right, is obvious and, you know, very present. And she's, you know, works through it. It's only been up, you know, recently that I've really identified you know, this cancer, whole cancer process as another trauma that I've had, um, that, you know, has different layers. And so like, you know, I've been working through that type of stuff and forgiveness has been a huge part of it. Mm. Um, you know, opportunity lost, right? Like I was supposed to be a top 10 pick in the, in the draft. Uh, it was the number one overall, uh, rated player going into that following year and then went undrafted. So, you know, I, Fast forward a little bit in the story, do chemotherapy, do radiation, uh, get surgery. Uh, after seven months, uh, I'm finally able to uh, say that I'm cancer free. And then the doctors said, okay, you can start like putting weight on it and let kind of pain be your guide. And, and they were, they were really pleased with the surgery and how, every, how the treatments went. And it was, that's kind of, the, you know, there'll be a whole nother podcast that we do on terms of like the 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 treatment and those effects and um had a you know another you know angel sent from god to to help me through my buddy zach who i will touch on briefly just because that first day when i got back to my room my dad handled calling everybody so he called bc you know told my whole my whole family but like there's one guy that was my best friend for my whole life his name is zach michelle and he was the one guy, one person I wanted to tell. Uh, and so I called him <clears throat> and told him, I said, look, Zach, you know, the pain that's been in my leg, uh, it turns out that it's cancer. Um, and you know, basically kind of ran him through it. He's not a guy of many words. Like he is like, he'll just be like, yep, yep, yep. And then he just kept doing that. And then he said, when do we start chemo? And I was like, what do you mean? When do we start? Like, I start chemo there. And he goes, okay, I'll be at your house at 7 a.m. that day. Wow. And so my buddy, Zach, he, you know, he's, we were juniors in college. It was somewhere between our junior and senior year. And he had a job at Avalon, New Jersey at the beach, like bar backing or something. 
And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to come to chemo with you all summer. And he was there every single day. And so like, and you know, we'd go to chemo, we'd start playing Madden or Xbox or something. Um, We'd probably get like a game in before the, the uh, medicine really started to hit me. And then I'd get like super sleepy and dizzy and stuff like that. And so he'd just hang out and like be with my mom and watch movies and then I'd be, I would wake up and he'd be there again and we'd play a little more video games, but he'd be there for like, it's like six hours oh. every day that he'd come to chemo with me. And so, you know, it's like, although there are those moments of like, oh yeah, I got to look back at the trauma and like have forgiveness for people and those types of things. There was also like these highlights of these angels in my life that just were there. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it just was, it's just phenomenal. So, you know, that, that was, that was fantastic. And then, and so we get through the treatment process uh, and end up going undrafted. Um, so, you know, it's just, you know, not even phone didn't ring once for the whole weekend. And like, it's, you know, it's great. It's like, I like camera crews with me and like, because they're like waiting to tell this story of like, yeah. Oh, he gets drafted after. And I didn't get drafted. And then it's the year of the lockout. Right. Yeah. And you'll go back and have to train down in, you know, train in IMG Academy down in Florida uh, for another six months and end up, you know, the lockouts lifted, get a call from uh, the New York Giants. And Tom Coughlin asked if I'll come help him win a Super Bowl. And I was like, heck yeah, come in. So, Let's go. So the next day, next day, drive up there. I'm like eighth on the death chart. And, you know, had anxiety out the wazoo, like I had oh. acne all over my face. Dude, just, that like, that feeling in your gut, like, and I, different different journey there, but like I can I can attest to it. Like walking into the locker room, walking in, like that first time, like in college, it didn't sound like. In, in obviously, I'm sure you were like, oh, that'd be cool to play in the NFL someday, but like wasn't really a dream until you're in college. You're like, okay, this may be a reality, yeah. right? But yeah. walking in and being like, what am I doing here, like? Do I belong? Like, is everything that I've done? And then to put in the complication of everything you just overcome and fought yeah. through to get there, was it enough? Like, can I be my old self? Right. Can I? Like, all these questions I'm sure that are going through your head. But, like, that anxiety, and you still, and, and you get it almost every year to a lesser extent going to training camp. There's always that, like, yeah. training camp anxiety, especially if you didn't have a secure roster spot. So, for me, every year was anxiety through the wazoo. <laughs> me um, too. Same thing. I was saying same, 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 same. Uh, but, man, I, what a what a story because the, and you mentioned the lockout. The, the crazy thing about the lockout was, so they had the draft pre-lockout, or they had the draft. So, the draft was done. Yep. But the free agent signings, there was nothing being done because the players in which I had signed with the Browns was my first opportunity, December of 2010. So I was there and yeah. had signed a futures deal. So I was at least still under contract during the lockout. Right. And so, but as a free agent coming out of college, it's like if you're not drafted, good luck because you don't have an yeah. offseason. So you don't have time to show the coaches you know, what you can do, you know, even if it's in helmets and, and, and shells, you, you can't do that. You don't have that luxury. You don't have the rookie mini camp. You don't have all those things. So now it's like just to get invited to camp is cool, but a lot of the mindset from the coaches are, hey, we got all these young guys, great. If they work out, awesome. There's a, Like Mark was – obviously they'd seen him play. Like, hey, this kid could be something. 
we'll just see if you know his health is is in good enough shape but yeah a lot of them were just camp bodies like we just need to get yeah. because half these dudes didn't do anything during the lockout so we just need bodies to get our veterans back in shape so that year yeah. was a crazy crazy year for someone just coming out of college so i just want to kind of yeah. frame that up yeah. like the importance of this camp <laughs> did did any yeah. part of you think it's just not meant to be because think about going back you could have gone out your junior and none of this would have happened well you still would have had the cancer right. died but you would have been a professional at this point if the timeline works right. out somewhat okay but that delayed your your start in the pros and then the lockout delays it, so it just seemed like everything was stacked against you did did it ever cross your mind like this just isn't going to be for me uh no uh it just kept being like all right gotta do more <laughs> and it's really i think it's you know it's super interesting um like when you look back and you kind of see God's hand in different things. And I don't, I don't think God, you know, put switched a chromosome in my cells to you know, have cancer be in my body. Uh, but the interesting part is that I decided to come back to school before I knew I had cancer, right? I could have, as you said, I could have left early, but if I had done that, they would have MRI'd that leg in the combine. Yeah. And yeah. That's it. It has shown up. I wouldn't have had been in school. I wouldn't have been on my parents' insurance. I wouldn't have had any insurance. I mean, I would, you know, I would have, I don't know how we'd have done it. Yeah. And so like those, that, that was like definitely uh, a hand of God in that part of my life. And then um, when you look at, you know, that first year and the lockout and, um, you know, going to the New York giants undrafted and, that first year we won a Super Bowl. And you know, I Y'all were nine just, and seven during the season. What was what was y'all's yeah, regular season record? Yeah, yeah. Not, nine and seven. Um, you know, went from the wild card yep. to Super Bowl in Indianapolis wow. and ended, the Patriots. Ended the Patriots perfect season. Yeah. Like so this was like the craziest because I remember watching well, so this this was not the perfect season. Oh, that this was, was the seven. One. That was seven. Okay, that's right. Yep, that's right. That I mean seven. might as well have been because the Patriots were rolling that year as well. But yeah. Um, but I remember watching Tom Brady said that Tom Brady said that this one hurt more yeah. in his uh in his show. So yeah. That that felt good. I, I mean, think, he was pretty he much said... talking. He was like, Mark Herzlick made it hurt <laughs> worse than the other one for sure. Yeah, I was literally so. saying that I, you saw my Joe was say, yeah, the, the reason we lost because Mark Herzlick's on the Giants. <laughs> yes, of course. That must have been why. But but I remember watching y'all that year and there was something special about that team. Um, because you guys turned it on at the end of the season, right? There was because you yeah. guys played them week seventeen, didn't you? Like the last week of the season. Was that, that we play, yeah, we played I think we played uh played the pats one of the last weeks of the season yeah. and then we played the the cowboys i think the last game oh, of the season that, yeah, and jpp yeah, jason pierre paul right. blocked a field goal mm. to let us win and get into yeah. the playoffs like yeah. it was that close yeah mm. yeah it was i just remember the momentum that that team had was just was incredible yeah. i mean absolutely yep. incredible and and it was it was something just different right and and i um uh so i played with bear pasco who is still yeah. was there? I think still in eleven. Yep. Um, Play with Bear. Yeah, yep. big old country boy. He was. Uh, so he rolled up. Yeah, tight yeah. end. He rolled up to Fresno State in this single cab dually truck with like stickers all over it because he was like a junior world champion roper, <laughs> and so like this dude was as country as name, could be, too. and it was yeah. dude. And he if he shakes your hand, like there's very few people that I've shaked hands with that I'm like, 
all right, like you could crush my hand. And I, cause I oh, yeah. like pride myself on a good handshake. Yeah. Right. And I remember like shaking his hand and I was like, there was, it was you. And then there was this one dude named Brock Payne that in eighth grade wrestling, like his whole hand <laughs> swallowed my hand and just crushed my hand. Those are the two people that I remember that outshift me. Bear Pascal. Anyways, that's a throwback. Random, random. Yeah. So Bear how, Pascal, how good yeah. did that feel that year playing that was football just like the most fun of your life that year coming back from that? No, <laughs> it was NFL. <laughs> this, is, this is the most stressful year of my stressful. life. Okay, okay. But you got in, right? So you got in that rotation and started making yeah. like impactful playing time your rookie year. Like that was a big deal. Yeah, that's a Because I remember job. that yeah. cover two drop that you had. You had like a a, a cover two drop where you had, you it was a pick, wasn't it? Uh, possibly. Oh, yeah. It was like a deep you drop down the, the middle of the third. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's that was that was it's funny. So. That was actually who made the interception. Another white linebacker, Chase Blackburn. Uh, so Chase, oh yeah. Uh. So yeah. So um. So that was in the Super Bowl. Um. So what 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 had happened was see so, what had happened was yeah. So I was I was a starter. Um. Week thirteen, I broke my ankle versus the Steelers. So that's right. I uh I get hurt. They bring in Chase Blackburn, who was on the team before. He yeah. comes in. Uh, and it, he's like me, right? Yeah. It's like, he's like a try hard, work hard, white boy, linebacker. Good locker room guy. Yeah. Yes. Like literally yeah, yeah. just me. Like, <laughs> oh, and so like my, I'll tell you what, like, again, I didn't handle that well either in terms of like <laughs> the jealousy that I had in, like in those times. And yeah. and the cool part about chase was like, it was palpable. Like, I mean, like I just, I was like, uh, like I should be out there doing it. Yeah. And he could not have been more gracious. Like he, like, you know, like I was a rookie, like there's no, I should not have been leading anything. Yeah. He was a leader, right? Yeah. Like he, he had been through the ringer. He had been that guy who had, who had sat on the bench and watched someone else play. Like he had been through that whole thing. And so like in another moment of like someone who at the time I was like, Oh, they're getting what I should have had. But it turned out to be such a, so, so he turned into such a mentor for me yeah. because of just who he was. Man, I love that. I love that. Now, sorry for confusing you. Yeah. I just, I yeah. remember a bit, a big white guy running yeah. down the middle of the field yes. deep. And I was like, yeah, it's I know. Mark. It had to be Mark. Yeah, it was 93, <laughs> not 94. That's okay. So that's, there, there, you, there you go. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for, for trying to spare me there. So you, uh, so you end up playing what? Seven total years, right? End up seven years, yeah. all with the giants. Yep, seven yeah. years, eight training camps, as I like to say. Yeah. Uh, told, you know, you go through training camp. That's, that's really eight, the rest that's is eight crazy. years. Eight yeah. years on your body for sure. Yeah. So what yeah, was exactly. the what was the walk away point at that? Like, did the did the league kick you out, or did you kick yourself out? Yeah, they they kicked me out. Um, so I had a I got like a a uh, neck thing the year before, and so it come back and was you know strong. But we changed. Basically, we changed our special teams coordinator, yeah. and he wanted all small, fast guys. Yeah, and I was a big thumper. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so just you know, just a change. We had a change of GM, and so it was like, okay, you know, I, you could see, you can kind of tell, like, yeah, you know, as you're going through training camp. And so, but either way, it was still, still difficult. Um, we had just had our first child, our son Boston, um, in May, and so that training camp, though, I remember that training camp, like. I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to get concussions anymore. Yeah. Like I'm not like, I was fully willing to get concussions before. I mean, I would do dumb stuff in my body. I just would. And cause I, 
just I would even after the cancer. I'm like, all right, let's do it. After having a kid, I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. So I will be taking half of a rep in half line. I mean, like yeah. and half line drills, like a guard, a tackle and a center and a fullback going yeah. against a D tackle and a linebacker. And, a, and so it's just like, it's a disguised right Oklahoma drill is yeah. all it is. Yeah. is. It's like, all right, we're going to tie up all these guys and then we're going to have a running back or a middle linebacker and a fullback go heads, yeah. you know, 10 yeah. yard sprint at each other. It's the dumb. Oh, yeah. And you're begging for the fullback because yeah. if not, you're just getting a pulling guard. Yeah. You're getting a guard. <laughs> yeah. that has, he knows it's run. You know, it's run. And you're like, all right, stop him within one yard yeah. of scrimmage. And like, yes, he's bigger than me. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, so. So that might be why I got cut, but either way, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I don't know how much more I can take of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, loved it. And then after football, you know, that transition is hard. And yeah. I, you know, I was one of those guys who like always did internships in the off season, you know, o- continuously prepared myself. Uh, but you have an, whether you think your identity is wrapped up in football or not, it's what you have been doing. That's what your family has been doing. It's like you've been doing it oh. for eight years. And now all of a sudden you're not doing it. And you got to figure out what else you're going to do because there's not a whole lot of um, talents that you use on the football field that you use in regular life. Right. I mean, just you know, like, yeah, we can do problem solving, but like that's a stretch yeah. kind of. Like in real, I'm not going to tell like an employer that, but like, I, I remember filling out resumes like, well, I have like problem solving skills. Like, no, I just hit someone harder yeah. when I don't know. What I noticed, to do. I noticed that my three technique, uh, got the, got down blocked yeah. on the double team. And so I actually had to adjust outside and take his gap yeah. that he got pushed out of. So I, yeah, that has nothing to do with the fact that like Janice hasn't gotten me the emails on time. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> Managing people. So did you not have a job? Did you not have a job lined up at all or any, no. any second? Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I, um, I had been talking with ESPN, uh, cause they had just been launching the AC. We're going to launch the ACC network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to them briefly, uh, but I was like, look, I'm still playing. So I don't really know what can happen. So, after I got uh, released, I called them back up. I was like, hey, I'm interested in doing something like this. Um, and they were like, okay, yeah, we're interested in having you. And um, I remember one time, you know, they were, I was, they were like, we want you to probably call games. We're not exactly sure. Have you ever called a game before? I was like, no. Um, so they're like, all right, why don't you go I've been out? playing them. How do you think that I could have called yeah. games? Yeah, they, they honestly, they probably didn't ask that question. But, that, <laughs> but do you have any experience? About it, they're not. They, they're actually pretty smart people that yeah. didn't ask that question. Um, uh, yeah, that was just a filler question, but thanks. Thanks for pointing that Dude, out. You just called them out of a story here. Is this what you normally? Is this normally what you do with guests? Just put them on blast like that. <laughs> so, so they're like, "Hey, I'm in New York," and they're like, "Columbia's playing Princeton on Friday night. Why don't you go and just like see the booth and you know see how it's done?" Sounds like a hell of uh, a game. Like, yeah, so I go, and Princeton is beating Columbia by 40 points at halftime, and the producers like, "Look." anyone watching this show is here in the stands. Like they're, so like you want to jump on the headsets and call it the second half. And I was like, sure. Like, I don't know. So I did that. That was my intro. And yeah, who's the quarterback again? Yeah. I literally didn't know. Didn't have any idea. Just like had to gave me a roster. Um, but that was my intro into it. And I guess it went okay. So then, nice. um, you know, they hired me on the AC network. 
Uh, and so this was my fourth year calling games uh, for them. It's been super cool. Favorite part about it is definitely meeting with the coaches and the players yeah. and then like being able to like, I, I'm not a, as big a fan as doing studio stuff yeah. um, as I am doing the live games. And yeah. I, you know, cause you're able to like be in the game and yeah. like have a connection with the players from before, you know them, and then you're able to figure out what's happening in the game. Yeah. You know, and Whenever you can figure out, okay, this is what the offense is trying to do and the defense is trying to do, that that gets me jacked up. So that's exciting. Yeah. See, I love that. Um, Let me ask you this. So you've obviously, I mean, anybody listening up to this point, okay, look, he's, he's super smart, well-spoken, does well. It, 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 it translates to – to talking about games and yeah. you know and and you had to be a student of the game too right you had to learn all aspects of it yeah. um, just based on on where you where your role was within the team but how much playing in New York do you think helped you from a platform standpoint um oh, like a lot. in that in that endeavor a lot i mean our local our local news outlet is NBC4 New York yeah. that has 6 million viewers yeah you know like so you know, or uh, yeah. And so having the, that type of thing where you know, they'd say, Hey, you want to come on after a game and just do, do some, a hit or do yeah. whatever. That was huge. And then also too, like our lot, even game years, we were terrible. Like the media was everywhere in our locker room. And so I think that, um, the fact that, uh, you know, was on the Super Bowl team stuck around for a while, um, had kind of a, you know, like, a tough guy underdog you were no he was a, you were a fan favorite like no doubt like yeah the, because because that market chicago is the same um yeah and you remember tim shaw um uh, yeah, yeah. played for the bears and then played for the titans for a little bit um has als you know and has been in a long long battle but in chicago he was like the fan favorite because he was that like gritty hardworking, do whatever's necessary for the team mentality and that's that's who you were for a long yeah. time for the giants yeah yeah exactly i mean i was the backup long snapper like you know and oh man i almost had to do it one time and i could not Ooh. i was that was most nerves i've ever had it's, in my entire it's, life it's the worst i'm telling you i had to do it because i was the backup yeah. as well in chicago yeah. uh uh oh my gosh I just blanked on his name. Um, Pat, starter, Pat Manley. Whoever, Pat Manley. That is. Yeah, the starter. Yeah, yeah. He played for like 17 years or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Um, he tore his ACL, and I had to snap the whole second half on a Monday night game. Mm. And holy smokes. Are you kidding? That was – and it was uh, – uh, Tommy Harris was playing uh, – he was the D-tackle, you know, OU guy, first-round first, first <laughs> pick. And he was – he's already – and I've gotten to know him over the years. He lives in Dallas. And he's already just like a jokester, prankster. And but imagine yeah. him, you know, now he's like two fifty, like super lean, and he was like three twenty and just nasty and mean and grimy. And yeah. now this backup long snapper comes in and he's that's his job is just to mess with and this was before like yeah. you couldn't line up on the long snapper. Right. This was like the year before right. they changed that rule. And it was a absolute nightmare. I mean, th I don't know how I got out of that game. I, I have no idea without a bad snap, but it was the most terrifying experience I've ever had in my entire life. Well, it, it hurt yeah. Cincinnati this year. I think it was Cincinnati. They had their backup come in, and he snapped it really slow, like much slower than a normal snap. And it ended up they ended up like I think missing the field goal or got blocked. It actually uh -huh. was a big deal. So you think? Oh, it's, it's a big you, deal. Yeah, you think if you uh, mess up? Yeah, it's a you big think deal. Deep not not that big of a no. It's a big deal. If, what if was you it? Have Oakland the, a couple years ago went through like 
three of them in yeah, like they had three a weeks. That was, that was terrible. Rough. Uh, terrible. Wow. Terrible. Um, anyway, so so let's so, so you got on with ACC Network yep. and but you're still going through the transition. Did that fulfill like that 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 hole that football left? And again, you know, and I'm kind of there's a leading question yep. into the yep. identity aspect because you've mentioned counseling and all that. But right. did you you're like, all right, cool. Now I, I got on with ACC Network. I'm calling games. I've got a job. Like, yeah. did that fill that hole that football left? We're going to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out, a Sleep Number store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to Sleep Number. Get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. It, so... It like it felt the filled the the hole of like that action right in the yeah. game day like yeah. so like that was something that I definitely and also the confidence of like I know what I'm talking about yeah you know where it it, it kind of gave me confidence in that role um, but the you know the I think the the thing that I had been struggling with my last couple of years of even playing were like I mean the amount of time that I would spend on the nuances of cover two defense or the nuances of, uh, you know, a quarter, quarter, half defense. Uh Like, and I kept thinking to myself, and this is, I kept being like, does this matter? (laughs) Like, this doesn't really matter. Yeah. You're like, there's, there's other people out there. And I'm not saying that like every job needs to like matter, matter. But like, I kept being like, man, I'm spending so much time learning about this stuff. That like I wonder what it would be like if I did something that like mattered. Yeah. And so, although you know, I would say the broadcasting probably matters, matters less than that. Um, even though you can like highlight people's stories, but I just, I mean, you know, Tyler, we you know we've gotten to know each other really well at you know PAO conferences and through our you know the Christian side of being an athlete. And um, I, it was always like, man, like I would leave those and be like, I need to, I need to be a minister. Like I love, I, I, I need to kind of quit whatever I'm doing, quit football and like go and be a pastor. And every single year I'd have that feeling when I left and, and, um, uh, it was actually, uh, I don't know, two years ago after the ba- a baseball conference that I was not at, um, someone from IJM came up to my wife and was like, Hey, um, we're looking for someone to like, ma- you know, manage, uh, pro athlete portfolios at IJM. Do you have anyone that you think might be interested? And Danielle was sick of me being around in the off season all the time. <laughs> so like, she was like, uh, yeah, I think I know someone who might want to do it. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, we had been involved with the IJM, uh, international justice mission, uh, just in terms of the giving side and like doing activating as players spreading awareness um, but then this, this opportunity came up to work for them. Um, and, and I jumped at it. Uh, and so, you know, right now, so 
in terms of filling holes, like international justice mission is, uh, an NGO, which is the largest anti, uh, human trafficking NGO in the world and, um, works to end modern day slavery, uh, combats human trafficking, online sexual exploitation of children, violence against women and children. And they are all over the entire world. And so, um, now like what I do day to day, I work nine to five uh, for them. And, you know, in the fall I'll call football games, but, um, it's like, I'm on these calls with these people and these survivors and these investigators out in the field in, in, um, you know, Tamil Nadu, India. Um, and they're like raiding brothels and people in the Philippines rescuing kids. And I'm just like, like that stuff is cool. Yeah. Like that stuff that matters. matters. Yeah. yeah. That matters. And so, and, and like the cool part about it is I'm able to use a lot of the things that, you know, I, I've developed and in, in friendships that I've developed as a part of this rule role. And so, you know, we have this unbelievable, you know, says team freedom here on the hat. And so there's a, the arm of, uh, IJM that's dedicated to, um, you know, professional athlete, um, partners and donors, uh, it's called team freedom. So I'll, I manage that the athlete relationships and Tyler, uh, and Tiffany, they're, they're involved and, um, they're, uh, just joined our, our core group of athletes, which is kind of our leadership council. And, you know, being able to go and share the work that IJM does with, with these athletes and then to see their response. Uh, because for me, when I like, I didn't know that this stuff was still happening. Like I didn't know that there, you know, were 50 million people currently enslaved right now. Uh, I like, I didn't know that there's like three and a half million kids being trafficked in the world right, right now. And, but when I did find out about it, I felt like, okay, well, that's way too big a number. Yeah. Like, I, like, I can't what am do I anything do? about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so like that, and I think that was a cool part about like then learning what IJM does and you know, they partner with justice systems and they partner with uh, the actual local governments and they create systematic change where they are able to go in, make change, able to lead rescues, and then they're able to train the government to do it and the government takes over and has like an actual change and like i mean studies that they've that they've done like i mentioned tamil nadu is a you know uh, a, a city in india where there's like tons of brothels and, and they went in and uh you know, basically it was like i think it was like 30 percent of um the uh the people working in these brothels were underage and they did and so then IGM went to work that, you know, trained the local law enforcement, uh, last year they did a study and there were zero underage kids in these, wow. um, cities that they, they had, uh, identified and like rapid change. It's just really cool stuff. And so like we're able to, I'm able to give that experience to other athletes and, you know, led a trip down to Guatemala. I know Tyler and Tiffany, they, they went to Guatemala Gosh, years ago, yeah, 2015, yeah. something like that, 2016, yeah. um, and saw kind of the the start of of that what they were doing there, and now to see what has been built in Guatemala is really crazy. We're leading a trip to to Ghana uh, this summer, um, and so like the fulfillment aspect has been yeah. has been checked, uh, and I just it's just a really it's been a really fantastic. Uh, way to do work, way to do life. I love it, man. And I love 
one I love and and you know I do in a few minutes want to take take a step back and talk about Danielle and like how you yep. guys connected um but uh, it's it's amazing that she won obviously made that connection and I know you joke about it but there's a reason that she yeah. put you in front of them because I think you are built for this right like you you've got uh, a level of empathy that's I think unique uh for for males in our culture which I think mm. is, which is awesome. Like that's, that's, that's not a slide. That's a super compliment. Yeah. Um, but man, and then also relationally, man, how good you are with guys and you and guys trust you. Um, and, and man, just what a great job you're doing. And you can like, when, when Mark speaks about it, you can just see that he, this is really important to him and you can tell it's like, all right, now, Mark recognizes that he's doing something that matters. Again, not that football doesn't matter because I think yeah. that it it does more than like I think we led on to, especially as former athletes. We kind of downplay it like, oh, it's just a game. Now it's like real yeah. life. Like, but here's the thing is is the role that Mark is in is connecting athletes and their families to this mission. And look, like it's a nonprofit, so there's always like a fund raising aspect of it. But even more so is you realize you're learning all that cover two coverage, right? And you're learning that quarter, quarter, half defense. because So you can excel at that position so that you can be great at it so that your platform is even bigger and bigger and can reach more people. At right. Professional Athletes Outreach, right, we call it like the stadium. And it's there's the locker room, who you impacting in your, in your circle. But then the stadium is like, all right, who is everybody that's watching what you do and how you live your life because of the platform that you have? And IJM has done such a phenomenal job in partnering with athletes through this process to now more people, I think, know than ever about really what's going on globally. You know, the 40 million slaves. Um, I mean, India, he brought up, is, is a country that 10 years ago didn't even recognize there was a single slave in their country. Like, as a government said, nah, there's no slaves no. here. We don't have any slaves. They are the number one country in terms of slavery globally. There was like 19 million slaves in yep. just India. So like the numbers are staggering, but what, what's amazing, man, about what the position that Mark's in and what he, what he's doing, especially with the, the athlete council and, and, and building ambassadors to go out and you, you now have these athletes, you know, whoever, right. Adam LaRoche or whoever, like really well-known names that people know yep. that kids are watching and he's standing up for these kids in, uh, in 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 Southeast Asia, in you know Indonesia or India, that are being exploited or are being trafficked, and they're standing up for that something that really matters, and the impact that they're making is profound. Now you're reaching kids yeah. and getting them to think about something. This problem that was too big that you mentioned, the problem yeah. that's like, what do I do? It's like it's a lot of times like when you got to clean your garage, and it's like and it's yeah. gotten out of control, and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like I don't even know, you know where you start. You start in this little quarter of your workbench and you start there and start organizing that and then just see where it goes. And that's what IJM is doing is, okay, we're strategically picking markets and we're going in and we're supporting training, teaching, changing legislation so that now these communities and countries can then do it themselves. So we're not that hero, that Superman that flies in saves the day and then flies out by like raiding a mm -hmm. brothel. Like that's important. And there's organizations that do that, but it's no, 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 we're here. We're planning an office. You mentioned Guatemala. Guatemala is only almost at the point where they're out, right? Like they're almost, yeah, they're getting close. They're getting close to closing that office because the city government now 
can actually handle what's going on there because IJM has partnered with them to train them to change the laws, to change the to train the prosecutors so that they can actually go to cha- to to train investigators on what to look for so they can build a case against these these criminals. And so now it's hey, we're teaching you how to do it so that you can do this yourself and then we're going to go clean up the next corner of my workbench. I mean, it's yeah. just incredible, man, and and, and I yeah. love I love what you're doing and how you're doing it and I mean, I'm yeah. not going to say yeah. uh, I'm not envious like of like Dude, like the mission that you're on, dude, and like, and and I love it, and I and I love that, like, God has led you in the way that, yeah, hey, look, I can do something that that's cool, right? Like on the on the worldly view, like I can call games, I can yeah. do that, but now, like, you're definitely making an impact, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, and, wh- and I think I think one of the you know, one of one of the things that I s- struggled with, and and not like in a obvious way, but just like. I think when you get a platform, whatever that platform is, um, like I was always in search for a purpose behind that platform. Yeah. Okay. So like get a Super Bowl ring, you have success in the league, you play in the NFL, I mean, whatever it is, uh, you're a dad. Like yeah. how can you take that platform and use it for a purpose that is worthwhile? Yeah. And like, I think that's, you know, you talk about connecting with, with athletes and, and, uh, what you know what i do on a day-to-day my biggest goal is like i am presenting this purpose that you can use your platform for if this feels like this is something that ah this is a good this is what i want to use that my platform for then great if it's not if like if that's not the thing that brit doesn't like get you going like that's fine right but like this is it's just an opportunity it's like oh man you know if this doesn't break your heart, doesn't mean you're not a, the you know a good person. Like, well, it just means that you. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm cer- just there's certain that. things, certain videos that, like, oh, bro, it, you have to check your pulse if you had to get a reaction. Yeah. But like, so, yo, you could have something else that's your thing. Yeah. But like having these guys and girls, because I think a lot of it has to do with the wives as yeah. well. Having them find something where they're like, ah, when I put my effort into this, I feel. Like this is worthwhile, yeah. And that, that's that's the coolest part. Yeah, man, I love that. This problem in particular, most people listening to this podcast aren't going to have a direct hand in helping solve. Meaning, they're probably right. not. Maybe they'll maybe they'll donate, but they're probably not going to go raid a you know a brothel. They're not going to get as involved. With you. So, what can people listen? I'm, to first this? of all, I am not raiding any brothels. <laughs> you hey, are not. But let's be honest. <laughs> he stopped wanting to run into people in yeah, football. He's yeah. definitely not going. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I, I, we we've had many athletes ask. Oh yeah. And every single time they're like, "Look, you are completely unqualified." Yes. <laughs> For that. It's way too dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're a big target. So no. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah. no. But I guess the question is, with no direct involvement, yeah. how can we in our own homes help solve this problem? I, I think I'm leading yeah. myself to an answer. I think I have an answer. I'm curious what you would say. How is me, Ben, who has three sons at home, how can I make an impact on such a big problem If even if I never directly work with IJM? Yeah, well, so first of all, I think that uh, as a father of three sons, I think that first of all, like that is something on its own mm-hmm. that all these different issues of violence are usually perpetrated by men. Mm-hmm. And whether that's in foreign countries, in our own country, and it's not a hundred percent, but like we need to raise our boys in a way 
that they can take criticism, that they can feel emotions, that they can express themselves, right? Where their life is not a conquest of what they can gain or what girl they can gain or sleep with or how much they can have. Like it's, it's a conquest of love that you want to raise these boys. I think that like, that's a, I think that's a huge part of, of like just baseline across the board. Like you can help prevent this from happening by making sure that your house is in order in the right way. That's baseline. Then I think, you know, while understanding that there's age appropriate ways to talk about it of not having the first time your child realizes that, you know, there are, you know, actual modern day slaves, that there is human trafficking, that there's, you know, exploitation of children, not have that be when they're adults, you know, like there's ways to involve them in the knowledge without having them witness the tragedy um, that can take place throughout their lives. And so creating this empathy uh, for what they can't see um, is, is like, I think it's a practice that is, is uh, hard to do, but also super important. So like, obviously you can give, you can tell the stories of the victims. You can, you can, you know, you can go on IJM.org and find out all you want to know information wise. Uh, but especially as a, as a parent raising kids, it's the awareness factor that, that bad things do happen in life in, in different parts of the world. It's this understanding that, man, we are very fortunate uh, for what we have. And we're very grateful for what we have. Um, but also you can, you can build a, uh, you know, little empaths that, can feel some of this pain. I think like that, that's how, that's how, you know, change is made. Um, And that change can start here with funding and then go, um, go to these other countries. Yeah. And I want to be clear too. And you just mentioned this is to support it. You don't have to be an athlete. Like that's not, that's not what we're saying here. Um, The division that Mark runs and is focused on day to day are those, are those relationships, but you can go to IJM.org and I would, I would suggest just going on and learning, right. And go, go do some research. If you're not familiar with it, go learn about what they're doing, how they're doing it, the impact that they're making. And, and, and like Mark said, what I, I love is that, look, if it doesn't stir something inside of you, then Go find something else. Like, that's fine. Yeah. There's plenty of other groups out there that are doing great work. If this, because this is a heavy, I'm going to be honest. So this is a very heavy subject. This is a, this is a, this is a heavy problem um, to, to recognize and then also to get involved in. And so it's not for everybody. I, and I totally understand that and respect that. For me, my daughter had just been born. I met Gary Haugen in 2012, like at, right after my first season he came and spoke at PAO and yep. literally my daughter is the founder of IJM. Yeah. Gary Haugen is the founder. He was a department of justice worked on the, uh, Rwandan genocide, like crazy, crazy, like stuff that he witnessed before starting IJM. But I remember hearing him speak and the stories he told, and it was something that my wife and I just couldn't ignore after having a daughter and just thinking yeah. if someone else is like, what if my daughter, this happened to my daughter, would I want someone else to care, like to help and to make an impact? 
And so that was just something that we couldn't we couldn't ignore. And and, and we've been fans, supporters, partners with IJM since. But again, yep. I just encourage you to go do some research and see how they operate because it's a highly sophisticated, highly effective strategy that they're implementing globally. Yeah. But yeah, the best, the best, I, my starting point was always it's IJM.org slash stories. Yeah. And there's like a bunch of these two, three minute videos of rescues yeah. of, you know, stories of rescues, stories of survivors, you know, from the Philippines to, to Ghana to, you know, India, just, yeah. you know, all this stuff happening, but yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. And I love to, and so one of the things that I, we haven't really mentioned, and I always want to hit on it. We learned this really when we were in Guatemala is, is really the whole process that they go through in these facilities, right? Is, is there's, you know, research, rescue, um, recover and restore, right? I, it might be a couple yep. R's in there yep. that I added, but, but no, it's good essentially is it's not is it's not just hey we're going to rescue you mm -hmm. is is they are going to actually help restore you and understand look you are not worthless like your slavers have told you you are not like you are loved you are loved by god you are loved by others like and you have you have so much more value um than everything that's been stripped from you since then so like it's a holistic approach to making sure that these victims and survivors are then able to then go thrive after they've been rescued because a big challenge, especially in the trafficking side on, on the prostitution side is they don't feel like they can do anything, especially here in the States, but they don't feel like they can do anything else because they've been told they're worthless. And this is the only thing that they're good at. So they don't believe that they can do anything else. It just takes a little bit of training, some counseling. And then, you know, obviously from the actual like spiritual side, just, letting them know that you are loved and you're cared for and then you can go do something and you can go be highly highly successful elsewhere and what's really cool to see is a lot how many of these survivors then go back and work for IJM at a lot of these facilities so um really yeah. again stories yeah. go go check it out for sure yeah. uh mark man last lastly man um I just want to say thank you but lastly Danielle your better half yep. uh, much better half much stronger half um yes <laughs> Talk, just walk us through uh, how y'all met and kind of in that relationship, and and we'd love to get her on too, just to to share you know? share some of her story because it's just it's it's incredible. And I know her story is not necessarily yours to share, but um, but would love would love man yeah. just to walk us through that relationship because the impact that you as a couple are making is is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I met Danielle actually. So I was going through chemotherapy. Um, when I met Danielle, we met at a Halloween party. I was Mr. Clean <laughs> due to the chemotherapy Dude, it own perfect it. costume. <laughs> um, and so I picked her up there. She didn't know I had cancer, but then she quickly learned the next day when I still was Mr. Clean Yeah, like, <laughs> just in real life. Um, but yeah, we, we met, um, again, my senior year of college. Um, and we kind of grew up together. Um, she was in the, uh, ROTC in the army. Um, she, uh, experienced uh, violence in her home when she was growing up uh, and different partner violence after that. And so she really had did not have a lot of trust for men uh, at all. And um, it was then, you know, she, she did find that trust in me though. Uh, and um, was able to share a lot of what happened to her uh, in a very powerful way to me when I was in kind of like my least manly state you know as you would see like you know 
chemotherapy, bald, like future in, in question. And she saw instead of a weak man, she saw an understanding human, right? She saw a person that she could feel safe with. Uh, and really that, you know, that was like a, a turning point for me in terms of, all right, being a man does not have anything to do with how much you have in your wallet, how, you know, good you look, how many girls you're with. It's, it's creating this safe place for someone else. So she showed me that, um, she is a, she is a, one of those people that like when she sets her mind on something, it gets done. Um, and so she has been, um, spiritual guider for me um for a lot of my early relationship with christ um she has she now works for pao as well um and she's found a calling in their women's ministry uh and really loves you know pouring into women uh she's a phenomenal mom um she shares her story um uh, of abuse and ways to strengthen women um and yeah i mean she like again i think that for time's sake, having her on is going to be, would be awesome. Cause she'd be able to share some really cool things. Yeah. And I know she's gotten really close to Tiffany. Yeah. Um, but up. yeah, we met at a bar, uh, as Mr. Clean and a cowgirl. And, you know, we are, gosh, that was 2009. So, you know, we're like almost 13, you know, 12, 13 years yeah. later, 14 13 years, years later, three kids later, Jeez. three, yeah, three kids <laughs> later. And yeah, hopefully not too many more yet. <laughs> um, we've got a lot on our plate, but yeah. So that's when, and she's great. Man, I just, I want to call out, man, just like, I don't know, God's timing on, you're going through one of the hardest times in your life. And, and then you, you're hearing and sharing these things with what you didn't know at the time, your future wife, but it also probably put some things in perspective with you, right? Like in what I'm going through, yeah. like, I think a lot of times we can find ourselves like reinforcing like victimhood and like, why me, why me, why me? And then you hear something like that and you're like, dang like this is a really hard time this is really difficult but other people are going have gone through really difficult things yeah. too as well so yeah, yeah think about how yeah. lucky your kids are two parents chasing such a intense and awesome purpose that are really making a change in this world so you know awesome for your kids and and this podcast you know we started as kind of a success you know how do you seek success and what do you do how do you get there it's slowly morphed as you know as you know, issues in our country have become, you know, come to light and, and been more I wouldn't more say slowly. It was pretty immediate once we <laughs> lost the dead weight. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but kidding. it slowly evolved into more of, you know, how can we turn this, how can we turn problems in society the right way? And so it's really yeah. cool to hear your story. Yeah. Man. Obviously, knowing you as the football player, or me knowing you as the football player and, and seeing you on yep. TV, it's really cool here in the background. But mm -hmm. the things that you're doing for the world and the encouragement that you are for everybody listening to this of – how you're doing your part in your community. And if we can all do that, if we can all, we don't have to go out and, you know, like we said earlier, bust down doors and change the world. Just change your household. Mm -hmm. Start there. Yep. Cover your household yep. and maybe your neighborhood, then maybe your community, then, then go from there. So yep. I appreciate you and I appreciate your wife for being such a great example of how we can take care of our own backyard. Cause yep. I think that's how we turn this thing around ultimately right. is by great examples like you guys. So we appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. And, uh, now, because Tyler was late, I got to make sure I get upstairs to help out with the kids. Or yeah, yeah, will... that's one hundred percent on me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, yeah. thank you, hey man, thank you for taking the time. I know this was a this was a of long course. one, but appreciate you, man, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I'll see you next yep. week at the Super Bowl. 
Uh, see you at the Super Bowl next week. Yeah, yeah buddy. Are you weeks after that? Yep, absolutely, man. Well, appreciate you. Uh, love you, brother. And uh, yeah, Mark Herzlick, everyone. Me too, guys. Appreciate it, Mark. Yeah.